Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you, people. How was your weekend? What did you do? Are you still saved? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't care. None of my business. We're going to have a great show tonight. My brother Patrick Riley is back. He was here during the pandemic, and we're here to talk about what that experience has done to him and all that's happened, I guess, kind of in between. He's a friend of the show. He's been here before. I love talking to him. You're going to love him as well. We loved him before, and we love him now that he's back, okay? Because I love people who come back. I think it's great. Um, but he has a very serious, serious journey that he wants to share with us tonight. And I know a lot of us have been through a lot in the last two years. And not all of it we talk about. A lot of it we don't talk about. Patrick's going to give us the opportunity to have a conversation a lot of us probably need to have, but we're not having because in most cases we don't have anybody to have it with. The good news is Patrick has somebody. I'm here for him. I'm here for you too. So welcome to the Book of Sean, people. We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean later. We always start with headlines, so let's do that right now. Highly play the bumper, man. A lot's going on in Great Britain. We know that the Queen of England has died and King Charles III is now on the throne. But some of you may or may not know that Great Britain also has a new prime minister. Liz Trust is the new prime minister of the United Kingdom. And what makes her interesting is that when she came to power, she decided to create her cabinet and she did not have one white man to serve in her cabinet. Yes, the prime minister of Great Britain is not, is not just a woman for the third time, which, by the way, America has not ever elected a female for president. So I'm just saying. And this particular prime minister, Liz Truss, came to office just days before Queen Elizabeth died. In fact, one of the last things Queen Elizabeth did was welcome the new prime minister into office or to ask her to serve, because in that system, the queen asked you to serve, and then the queen passed away. And as soon as she got to, um, to be the prime minister, she decided to make a revolutionary decision with her cabinet. I should also mention that Boris um, Johnson was booted out of office by conservatives in, in the United Kingdom. And I should also mention that Boris Johnson was an ally of Donald Trump. So once again, messing around with Donald Trump will put you in a lot of trouble and cost you your job. Let the whole church say amen together. Go. <laughs> but back to Liz Truss. Liz Truss is doing something really radical and interesting, okay? Let's say it again, just in case you missed it in all my twists and turns and my ups and downs and my moments of irony and sardonic humor. Liz Truss has a cabinet in the United Kingdom that doesn't have any white men in it. Now, if that doesn't strike you as something interesting, you obviously don't know much about the United Kingdom. So let's go over it a little bit. The United Kingdom, and I do not mean this as a pejorative, I do not mean this as a negative statement, it's really white. <laughs> There's a lot of white people in the United Kingdom, okay? I mean, a lot. It's really white. And to think that the government of that country will now be led by a prime minister who is a white woman and a cabinet with no white men in it. Needless to say, this has never happened in Great Britain, okay? This has never happened in that country. So shout out to Liz Truss. Shout out to Liz Truss for deciding that she wanted her administration to look different and to be different because, wait for it, sometimes when you bring different people in, you get different results going out. Come on, Dr. Shard. When you just gather the same people around you who think the same way and live the same way and look the same way and are the same way, you're going to get what you've always gotten. You always got to do something new to get something better. Hot grease, two, three. 
If you if you if you put some chicken in this show, it's gonna come out real. Anyway, um, I'm eager to see what Great Britain is gonna think about that. I mean, I'm eager to see what this really white country is going. How how is Great Britain gonna respond when the whole Queen uh, mourning is over to the fact that there's not a white man leading the government? Nobody in her administration happens to be a white man. And, and let me just say this before I move on. I don't necessarily think that Liz Truss was trying to do something, you know, make a political or racial statement. See, a lot of people would assume that she chose to have a cabinet with no white men in it because she wanted to make a statement. How about we consider the possibility that Liz Truss did not choose a white man to be in her cabinet? Not because she wanted to make a statement, but because she wanted the best people. I'm just going to let that sink in. Because sometimes the best people, wait for it, are not white men. They're white women. They're black women. They're brown women. They're black men. How about that? I was talking to someone about affirmative action not long ago, and they, and they were, you know, the typical thing when you say affirmative action is, well, yeah, it's good, to, it's good to be good to the black people and the brown people, but the best people should get the job. And my response back to them was, how do you know the best people didn't get the job? Huh? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In, in, some, in some cases, I would dare say in most cases, when a black or brown person got hired and it was so-called affirmative action, you should not assume that they were not the best person because they were black or brown or because of affirmative action. We'll see how Great Britain responds to this. And uh, just in case you got what you got because of affirmative action or because somebody wanted to make a statement or because somebody was racially sensitive and alert and conscious and aware, don't you let nobody make you feel bad about the fact that you are who you are because you are probably the very thing that they need. Let's move on. Let's talk about Steve Bannon. (sighs) Yes, Steve Bannon, another associate of Donald Trump, by the way. Steve Bannon, as most of you saw on the news last week, um, was taken into custody in New York for allegedly defrauding contributors in the tune of $25 million. Allegedly, Steve Trump and his co-conspirators raised money to build the wall on the southern border. And instead of building anything remotely resembling a wall, they, in fact, pocketed the money. Allegedly, Steve Bannon was pardoned by Donald Trump for this scheme at the federal level. But apparently Donald Trump and Steve Bannon did not read the Constitution and do not understand that, you know, just because you pardon somebody at the federal level does not mean that at the state level you can still be charged and still be convicted and still end up in handcuffs and still go to jail. So Steve Bannon was pardoned for this crime by Donald Trump at the federal level, but what he forgot was there's another little thing called the Constitution, and states have them too, and they're called laws, and states have laws too. And in almost every state in the country, if you are found to be soliciting or, 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 or conducting fraud at, at the state level, the attorneys generals of those states can, can convict you. So here's what happened. Steve Manning got money from people across the country. And because he got money from New York, it opened the New York attorney general to be able to charge him because that money came from New York. Now, I'm not gloating. I'm really not. It may look like I'm gloating. You may see a little twinkle in my eye. You may have, you may have seen like the, the rumor of a smile flash across my face. But it was just, it was just, it was, it was not a smile. Because I really don't gloat when people get in trouble, okay? Because karma is real. You follow what I'm saying? Karma is real. And I listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't want no trouble coming to me. So I'm not gloating. I am really not gloating. 
I'm not happy about the fact that Steve Bannon ended up with handcuffs and going, maybe going to jail for allegedly stealing $25 million. But it's my job to pull out wisdom, people. So here's the wisdom. Are you ready for it? Because this is why you showed up. Okay, let's just agree about why we showed up. You and I showed up because we want to know something more and feel better by the time the show is over. So let's go to my mama, Annie Sue Henderson McMillan, dearly departed, who passed away in 2015. She used to say, water seeks its own level. And what my mama was trying to say, and what I'm trying to say to you right now, is that I'm not surprised Steve Bannon is in jail or charged with something or allegedly did something crazy, because look who his friend was. Put those two back up on the screen, John. Or, yeah, those two. <laughs> yes, if you run with a liar, then you, guess what you probably are? Because liars feel comfortable around liars and thieves feel most comfortable around thieves. Are y'all with me so far? People who ain't got no character don't normally feel comfortable around people who are virtuous and full of valor. That ain't how it works. Because as Annie Sue Henderson McMillan would say, water seeks its own level. You see, the light is offensive to darkness and goodness bothers evil. And people who intend to do well are, are an anathema to people who intend not to do well. Greatness is an offense to mediocrity and people who are building something often bother people who ain't building nothing and playing games on the couch. Teach Dr. Shaw. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you, you can't be a person of integrity and spend all your time around people who have no integrity and expect us to believe that you have integrity. Here's my advice, and I'll be done. I'll be done after this. Be kind to everybody. I believe in that. Be kind to everybody. Be generous to as often as you can. But do not spend your time with people who will entertain and participate in foolishness. Not just because it makes you look bad or might turn you into them, but more so because it might trigger something in you that's dormant and dead and needs to stay that way. Don't spend your time with people, beloved, who ain't about nothing. Because if you don't want to be a liar, then keep liars out your circle. Huh? Let's move on. Let's talk about evangelicals. You paying attention over there? Let's talk about evangelicals. 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 I'm going to have a little fun with this one, okay? So y'all just put your seatbelts on. Don't say I didn't warn you. Let's talk about evangelicals. The National Association of Evangelicals released a report claiming, wait for it, that the Bible demands action on climate change. And then the report, and in the report rather, they believe themselves to be developing a biblical basis for environmental activism. Which I think is great, by the way. But since most evangelicals don't believe in climate change, I would say that the association the National Association of Evangelicals has a lot of work on their hands because most evangelicals do not believe in climate change. They, the, most, the biggest climate deniers on the planet are white evangelicals. But I salute these people who are trying to get the evangelicals to change, okay? You know, listen, I have to tell them a little secret, okay? Y'all ready for this? this? This is what I do for a living. Let me tell them a little secret. There is, the Bible does not talk about climate change, people, okay? It, it really doesn't. Now, it talks about lilies of the field and birds of the air and, and the creation belongs to the Lord and creation is a good thing. That ain't, it, climate change, it doesn't talk about because the notion of hurting the climate ain't, didn't, didn't 
enter into the minds of the writers of the Bible. So climate change is not a concept that's in the Bible. Now, loving creation, yes. Protecting creation, yes. But when you say that you're trying to get a biblical basis for or against climate change, you're stretching it. And let me continue, since you're already listening. There's, there, there, the abortion's not in the Bible either, by the way, just so we're clear. The, uh, the concept, the term does not appear in the Bible. I got one more for you. You ready? Are you sitting down? Okay, take a sip, because you're going to need a sip after I say this. Homosexuality ain't in the Bible either. I know. I know you thought that it was. It's not. Homosexuality is not in the Bible. What we think to be homosexuality, two consenting adults loving each other, that concept did not exist at the time that the Bible was, was written. When you go to Leviticus, right, the concern in Leviticus is not for homosexuality, it's for male prostitute orgies. When you go to Romans, Romans chapter 1 and in Corinthians, the concern there is for pedophilia. So we're talking about temple orgies and pedophilia. Leviticus temple orgies and Romans, we're talking about pedophilia. We, we would agree that two consenting adults loving each other of the same gender is neither one of those things, right? No, they're not the same thing. So the Bible has no concept of modern day conceptions of same gender loving people or modern conceptions of abortion. It doesn't because those ideas did not exist at the time of the writing of the Bible. And I know you all think God wrote the Bible, but newsflash people, he did not write the Bible. People wrote the Bible. They had names. Isaiah, <laughs> Jeremiah, you know, Luke, you know what I'm saying? John Mark. What's wrong with y'all? Y'all better listen, too, because I, I can read the book in the original language. You know what I'm saying? We can do some Greek and Hebrew and Latin if you want to do it. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get you to understand that, you know, people try to put things in that ain't even in there. The Bible has a lot to say about love and creation. It does. A lot to say about, take, about, about loving God's planet. It absolutely does. It has nothing to say about climate change. Because at the time of the Bible, the only person messing up the climate was God. <laughs> I, know, I know you didn't see that coming, but don't, don't act like it ain't true. You know the story of Noah. Come on. Anyway, let me finish up. Um, Michelle and Barack Obama, their portraits were revealed at the White House last week. And we celebrate uh, the former president and his lovely wife. For decades, former presidents and their wives came back to the White House to have their portraits revealed. Uh, but of course, Donald Trump and his, and his malevolence, his pettiness, his mandacity, his concupiscence, his small-minded ignorance and jealousy, his envy, and uh, I could go on. <laughs> he stopped to practice. But thank God Joe Biden brought back Barack and Michelle Obama to reveal their portrait and it was quite a day. In fact, my producer, Jocelyn Jackson, somehow finagled a ticket to the event and did not invite me. My producer was at this event, sitting, sitting in there with a phone and drinking whatever they drink at the White House when they unveil stuff. And I was here talking to you. We were talking to each other. She was at the White House, knowing it's my dream to go to the White House. Now, anyway, let me not make this about me. So the real lesson is this. Seeing Barack and Michelle Obama back on the stage again reminds all of us of something very basic and simple. Here it is. Sometimes you don't miss a good thing until it's gone. Sometimes you don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore. 
When Barack Obama was president, everybody's running around. He should do more. He needs to do more of this. He do more of that. You know why? You know why Barack Obama has not passed as many bills as Joe Biden? It's, it's simple, because Joe Biden has a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate. We didn't give Barack Obama that. We voted for president, and then we went. And then we went. I don't know what we did. We started shaking our butts on TikTok. So I don't know what we were doing. If Obama had had a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate, he could have gotten more done. It's just, how, it's just how it works. Some people will never love you until you walk out the door. They will never be able to appreciate you and value you until they can't throw their arms around you no more. And sometimes the only way for people to know what they have is for them to have to go through the ignominy and the pain of losing you. So if you got to leave, don't feel bad. Because I promise you, they will find somebody else to underappreciate. When I come back, I'm talking to my man, my brother Patrick Riley. We're going to talk about health and sickness and COVID and mental health. Um, it's going to be a great conversation. Don't you go nowhere. Get some uh, pie, and I'll see you right back after this. So, everybody, if, if I asked you how your... Let's try it this way. If, if, if you kept the COVID journal and you went back and read what you were writing during the pandemic, what would it say? Like, if you really talked about how you felt and what the experience did to you, how would you manifest, appear in the world? And how did that experience change you? Because none of us can say we came through COVID unscathed. We all went through something and felt something, lost something. Whew. And to a great degree, thank God it's over, right? My guest tonight um, is here. He's been here before. And I want to talk to him about this journey because I'm believing that what he went through is emblematic of what a lot of us went through. Welcome to the show tonight, Patrick Riley. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Dr. Sean. It's so good to see you again. It's good to see you as well. Thank you for coming back. I love it when people come back because the familiarity is already established, right? The rapport is already there. You know me, I know you. Um, so I'm excited about this. Um, so so I, want, I want to curate this conversation in a very particular way. And I want to begin by asking you, describe to everybody watching what you were like before the pandemic? Well, before the pandemic, um, I was a social butterfly. Um, I'm an inter independent entertainment producer, journalist, reporter, um, always at the great parties, the red carpets, in crowds. You know, pre-COVID, we could hang out and, and do what, um, what we now call super spreader events. Mm -hmm. But at that time, um, you know, my social calendar was up and running and um, up until March 20th, 2020, um, everything literally came uh, to a screeching halt. I had about six more months of book promotion. I had a book that, that I was talking to you about when right. I was here last in the middle of the pandemic. And it was, um, that was a, what you call a remix because it was a remix um, virtual book tour because I had six months of book dates budgeted book dates, I might add, mm. all canceled because of COVID. So um, I had a, 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 a vivacious, I want to use some of those multi-syllabic words you were using in, the, <laughs> in the Hot Topics. Yeah, I, was, I was effervescent. Oh, there's one. There's one. There I was you go. There you go. Listen, it it listen. was an exci exciting, happy, joyful time before COVID. Well, he said his calendar was up and running. I like that. My, my calendar yeah. has never been up and running. So I, so, so, so. I have a good sense, and everybody watching tonight 
can get a good sense, right, of your of your spirit and your and your your eloquence and your ability to sort of to to emanate. Um, so then, tell us what the pandemic did to you, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Well, you know, it, I think it it kicked my butt in in basic terms. Um, uh, Emotionally, I think uh, I became socially isolated. I live alone. So in my one bedroom apartment, it became um, a headquarters for the virtual work that I was pivoting and hoping to attract. Um, as a freelancer, when you're out in those streets, the work can keep coming. Virtually speaking, I really, uh, you know, things kind of, there was a downturn, if you will. So it left me emotionally anxious about how to keep, uh, food on the table and how to keep the bills paid. And I then had to make sacrifices, really difficult sacrifices around um, what I can pay, what I don't have to pay. I, I found myself dipping into reserves that were meant for um, other kinds of uh, uh, improvements in my life, but mm. I had to kind of spend it to survive during um, what was really what really amounted to two years. And in, and being in my business, a lot of people did sort of begin to trickle back into work. But I think because of my anxiety, that was another one of those impacts. I wasn't as willing to rush back out and be effervescent like I was, you know, before it all went down. Now, now, that, 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 hold on a second, because that's interesting. If I'm tracking it correctly, um, you developed a kind of social anxiety having sure. been uh, locked down and locked in for some talk more about that how did you know hold on one second how, how did you know that you were developing this kind of anxiety well i think it it comes from you know the 24-hour news cycle uh you take in enough of what's being reported around these COVID numbers and what they're doing in certain parts of town and certain parts of the nation it all kind of pointed to uh a radius around where i'm from you know i'm here in the new york new jersey area and so it just made me want to stay safe. Um, I have an 88-year-old dad who, who was sort of locked down, and I kind of mimicked and role modeled him in, in, in many instances. He's the man that took me all over the world as a chief master sergeant in the Air Force, and he was also the man that's saying, hey, Patrick, you know, how are you doing? Are you keeping yourself safe? Are you, you know, you're not out there hanging out with, you know, because a lot of people sort of acted as if there wasn't a pandemic. And I just really refused to act as if there wasn't a pandemic. And so because I didn't sort of keep that connection to the world, I um, I think I grew depressed, to put it honestly. Mm, yeah. I, I'm not, it, it hasn't been diagnosed, but but certainly depress, depression was, was a feeling. I felt depressed, if mm. that makes sense. Mm. So did you have, because I, I just want to put my finger on it. Did, did you have less of a willingness to go out I'm, I, here's, here's what I'm asking. Not during the pandemic, obviously, right? Because I, you can't do that. But even after now the, that the pandemic is subsiding, what I'm asking is, do you currently have so, sort of, sort of, you know, are, are you hesitant? Are you resonant? Anxious about it? I'm really um, intentional about when I will leave um, to go outdoors. Mm. I'm really... Um, and, 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 and that juxtaposes then to another level of anxiety because I have FOMO too. So, you know, you, you can go on your timeline on social media and you see those who are going out, those who dare to go out or those who go out masked or those who go out and say, hey, I caught it, it's no big deal. You know, they do what they do and then they go right on back out. 
I find myself not willing to be that, and yet I have fear of missing out of these great things that mimic what my life was like before COVID, and yet my sort of emotional paralysis won't let me uh, go buck wild like I, I like I was, you know, before it all started. So is yeah. is, is is the concern for getting sick, or is it deeper well, than that? Well, uh, it's a little bit of the getting sick um, now two years into having made um, different kinds of choices around the virtual work I'm attracting. um, Sometimes it's financial, you know, the, 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 that car service that used to be sort of the, the, my chariot uh, is not necessarily the thing I'm willing to pay for because I do need to be mindful of the bills and the things that I'm trying to sort of catch up on because pandemic really did impact me, not just emotionally, but financially. Yeah. So, so I heard that I'm going to change gears a little bit. I heard that you lost your home in a fire. Yeah, so one and a half, like uh, last year this time, I uh, awoke on a late September morning to an electric fire emanating from my kitchen. And I had um, I had a second to think I could sort of battle the fire. And then I had another second in my underwear to run out of the house because um, it, it it literally took everything. And, and well, I should say it took everything or impacted everything. Um, all my artwork, my, um, you know, my book is That's What Prince of Four and the Women Who Inspired Me. So all of my mementos, my Diana Ross albums, my, uh, my award achievements, um, um, accomplishments that I've uh, received over the years, pictures, pictures that have been sort of um, the lifeblood of of how I express myself in these social media times, uh, you know, the originals at least, um, just a really um, paralyzing scenario. And and you heard me mention how I had to make difficult choices because we were in pandemic and the price point and what I was bringing in as revenue goes was different. I had to make hard decisions about what I was gonna keep up, what I wasn't gonna keep up. The student loan was maybe one thing that I, that I kind of said, okay, they can't take my Morehouse degree. I'll deal with that on the back end. Maybe I can benefit from what Biden has proposed in a few months. But I also um, let my apartment unit insurance lapse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, 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 because I don't tell tell me what it what it does to you emotionally to know that that happened. And that happened. There's um, embarrassment. Mm. There's um, shame. Mm. I felt like a failure. You know, I guess I would be considered the type that is the overachiever. You know, in my family, he's the one that gets it right every Mm. time. And here I was alongside many people who were dealing with the pandemic in their own individual ways. And here's this one specific way in which I did not get it right. Mm. And it, it crippled me for a moment there as I, you know, now find myself trying to rebuild, but it's been uh, an uphill. It's been quite an uphill. Maybe, you know, Jacob's Ladder, I think to pull from a biblical reference, I know that's what you were theming out um, in your hot topics. So I'm I'm climbing Jacob's Ladder, you know, because it has been, um, it's been a piece of time. It's just been, it's just been very difficult to, to, to get back on my feet. I'm still displaced. Um, I am inside the apartment of a best friend who has let me stay on 
his couch, which is right behind me. So that's my bed behind me um, mm -hmm. because um, I'm fortunate to have generous friends who have been able to um, help and support me. But, you know, even that's been difficult for me because I'm usually the one that the people come to for the help. So that 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 um, complex that I have in that regard has just sort of put me in a, another chokehold, you know, which I know yeah. that's all ego. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I got I got one. Uh, let, I got one. Let, 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 me, let me ask you a hard question, though. When when was the last time you cried? Uh, just this um, Saturday, I'm back from um, Savannah, Georgia. We uh, buried my mother's my late mother's only sibling, Auntie Mary Lee. She's my favorite aunt. Mm. And uh, she left us at 86 years old uh, last week. And we went to celebrate her life uh, in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, I got a, a full day, if not me, really the last two weeks, as we've been sort of knowing this day was going to come. I've been in a very emotional place around her being gone. And truth be told, she was a salve for me during that time, just via a text, you know, that old sage maternal figure she was the one sort of saying baby keep praying keep going so I, I I'm sad that she won't even get to see me return to my home you know which so you I'm, cried you, know, you so 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 you cried for her I cried for her but I cried for me because I'm gonna miss uh, a little bit of the lean that I had on her during this difficult time um, Patrick hold, hold on hold on I, I gotta take this break but let me say this to you and I want you to think about this while over the break what would you say if I told you that you not only cried for her and you not only cried for what you're going to miss about her, but you in a very different way cried for you and what you've lost and what life took for you from you without your permission? Because here you are having been someone that people run to and talk to and love to be around. And you're in a place in your life where I'm sure you never thought at this in this season you would be here. You never thought you'd have to deal with this. You never thought you'd have to, ca to carry this cross again or at all. And I want to say to you, that's why I asked the question, because the tears that we cry in situations may not be the tears that we are actually crying without even knowing that we're crying for ourselves. Let's take this break. And when we come back, let's talk about that on the other side. OK, good. Yeah. All right. We, we, we'll be right back. We got more with this story. Um, Listen, life does its work, and we just have to hold on. We'll be right back. Patrick Riley is my guest, and he's been talking to us about the ordeal, the arduous situations that come up and came up for him during the pandemic, uh, both the development of anxiety, Patrick, and also really losing your home in the fire. I mean, just, um, and, and then I, we, we were talking during the break, Patrick, just, uh, just me and, 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 the, and the team here, just about how it would feel to know that you didn't pay that insurance that month, right? And then yes. that is the month where you really need it and the kind of, just the kind of guilt and the kind of all of that. Um, so all of us in here were just putting ourselves in your shoes um, with empathy, um, which makes me ask this. What was the, was asking for help hard? Was it hard to ask for help? I, I didn't tell my family immediately because I didn't want them to worry. Like I, I had everyone's schedules in my head. So I'm saying everything's gone. I'm alive. Uh, and it was like on a Thursday. So I said, you know what, let me just get through the next few days and I'll then call my dad so that I have some answers to, you know, to, you know, something that I can answer beyond the trauma. Um, 
there were friends who, after maybe three weeks, saw what I was up against with remediation, with the demo, things that I was pulling from my own pockets to do. My friend said, we're going to start a GoFundMe for you. I, it took me a week to say yes to the GoFundMe. Cause why? Something about wait, that, wait, 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 hold on, I, hold on, hold on. Why, why, was it so, why was it so hard to ask for help or to receive help? Why? I just, it, I just, I think I, I was just stigmatized by what it represented because it was sort of never a muscle. What did I've it represent used. to you? What did it represent to you? It represented failure. It represented, um, you know, to the ego, me not being the man, not being the adult, not just a man, but an adult about my business or not, you know, sort of finding a way to maybe be more creative mm -hmm. during the pandemic so that I could make sure that maybe the numbers weren't less so that I was able to keep up with all the bills. It was a lot of guilt and 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 there's humility that comes from then that came from me when I was sort of, you know, I sort of like, I, I sort of leaned on the sword mm -hmm. and said, you know what, this is a humble time for me and there's nothing wrong with being humble, but I had to talk myself into being humble, if that makes sense. Mm. And, you know, I'm here now, I'm here now, you know, but it took me a beat to sort of put my, my tragedy, if you will, on Front Street. I, di I didn't know that I wanted, you know, the whole industry to know, you know, I didn't, you know, that kind of, I didn't want these women who inspired me in my book to know so that they could then, you know, oh, let's send him a little something, you know, and yet it's the little somethings that, you know, have me talking to you right now and have me kind of in process of trying to get back. It's, 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 you know, it's a long haul, but um, yeah, last year, this time I had a lot of just stigma about mm. wanting to receive the support and the love it has come and it has now produced this thing in me that I'm feeling alongside the depression, alongside the anxiety and it's gratitude. Yeah. And I, I almost can say that with as much of a, a chokehold on, you know, as much like we were talking earlier about crying. I, I, I get emotional with gratitude because mm. the, the village, and I mean like the extended village, the, the people and the, the smallest drop made a difference Patrick, on the Patrick, day Patrick, when... Patrick, hold, hold, hold on. So let's, let's, uh, let's go with this. Let's thank some people. Let's thank some people right now. Let's, we're going to publicly thank some people. Who do we want to thank? But we have to thank my friend who took me in, who has me on his couch. He's my best friend since seventh grade. That's Ernest Clayton Maynard III, um, my uh, best friend from Savannah, Georgia, who also lives in New York. I have to thank uh, my partner, Anthony, who, when I'm not here, I'm in Denver, which is where he lives. And so that was another example of we were being kind of uh, socially distant apart, but together. Mm. And then once this happened, uh, we decided to sort of take a chance on you know, connecting and, 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 and being a bubble amongst ourselves. I was able to spend some time extensively in Denver with he and his family. I have to thank he and his family because they literally, I lost all my clothes. And so aunt replaced, not replaced, but he really did deliberate buys to make sure that I could, when I did want and need to go walk back out of the house that I could do that. Okay, so the Patrick, suit, Patrick, hold on, hold on. So, so, so give me your statement of gratitude to all these people. Let's assume all of them are watching and all of them listening. You would say what to them right now? I wanna thank each and every one of you for taking um, a moment to acknowledge me and my situation and to help me out when I needed it most.
and uh, you didn't have to do it, but you all stepped up and 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 you showed up and you showed out in ways that um, I may have never given you the opportunity to do before, but mm. I but in ways that I promise you, um, I'm so appreciative of. And I just I love you all. I thank you all, and I, I and I continue to know that my energy is about reciprocation. But I know right now, until I can get back on my feet, this is literally about me receiving what you all have given me. And I and I love and appreciate each and every one of you for it. No, I love that. I, I, I love that on a lot of levels. And and the, and the greatest level by which or of which I love it is I, I, you and I don't know each other well. You've been on the show before. But I can tell just from encountering you in the times that I have, you give a lot. You listen a lot. You love a lot. You're generous. And, and I think it's so, I, I don't like how life did it. But I do think it's so important that life sort of forces us to understand that we can't always give. We can't always give. We won't always be on the mountaintop. I see it in your face. I, I, I see it all in your face. That, that, that there are moments when we have to receive and we have to put down, you used this word a couple of times tonight. We have to put down our egos and to allow ourselves to be blessed, to allow people to show us, right, that they love us. And that all that we've given, all that we've poured out, all that we've extended to let some of that comes back to us when we need it the most. And I'm so happy that you have people in your life who, when you were in your night season, huh, spending a night and a day in the deep, that they rushed to your aid and said to you, you may, you may, have, you may, you may have to stumble, you may even fall, but the ground is not your destiny. We believe in you. And uh, I, I, listen... I, you lost your home and, 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 and some aspects of your career. But let me tell you what you gained. You gained the knowledge to know that if hell and high water comes, you are, you are aligned with people who will fight your battle with you. You, 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 you have a confidence that a lot of people don't have, Patrick. A, a lot of people think they have friends. And, but, but what they really have are people who are there for the good times. You know you have friends. You know you have a partner that loves you. And you know your partner's family loves you as well because you're in a situation. I, 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 I often say this, that it's not really love when you don't have any, unless or, unless or until you get to the moment where you don't have any benefits. That's right. And now you have the knowledge of knowing that love is real and it's active in your life. Um, I got to go because <laughs> they're going to be telling me I'm over, I'm over time. But, but I just wanted to give you that. I just want you to know, no matter what's been torn down or what's been burned up or what parts of you need to be rebuilt, you actually gained something. You gained a certainty about the power of your relationships. And I hope that you will let that make you strong. What you're saying is what I needed to hear. So I thank you, Dr. Sean. And, and because so many people are ready to move on with their lives, and I, I, I don't think I processed it. So thank you for processing this with me, unpacking it yeah. with me. Yeah, I like you, Patrick. You got to come back and see me a third time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Listen, everybody, I got more to say about this because I got some aha moments from this. I'm going to say that after the break on the other side. But you all keep Patrick in your prayers. And make sure that you continue to affirm his greatness. Uh, you say, I don't know, Patrick. It doesn't matter, people. <laughs> Just speak it to the universe, all right? Because I'm believing in him. And I'm believing that, um, that what was born in sorrow 
will ultimately end in joy. We'll be right back. I had an aha moment. I'm about to share it with you. <laughs> a little a little too quick there, Hailey. I had a whole thing planned. Anyway, so Patrick Riley is a, is, a, is a powerful, powerful example. First of all, I enjoy talking to him. He's such a powerful example that seasons change. Life changes. Where you start your day may not be where it ends, and where you started your month may not be how it culminates. You follow me? And the great challenge of life is to not be an oak tree. It's to be a willow. See, the oak tree stands in the wind, and the oak tree is determined to stand there and not move. And when the wind blows really hard, guess what it does? It breaks. But the willow dances in the wind. The willow leans with it and rocks with it because the willow is not fighting against the wind, and the willow doesn't mind moving. Life's going to move on you before it's over. And I pray that just like Patrick found out tonight, that when the move happens and the change happens, some things that need to be understood can be revealed. See, maybe more than his Dinah Ross albums and his memorabilia, maybe in this season of his life, what he really needed to know was that he was loved and cared for. And ironically, in spite of the fire, in spite of the pandemic, now he knows. Yeah. All right, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play the Bubba Holly. Now, before we do this video, I want you guys to pray for PNB Rock, who was a young rapper who was shot in Southern California today. You may be hearing about it on Twitter. Uh, so pray. I, I said it right, right? Yeah, pray, pray for him. Uh, the footage is gruesome. Um, but we're praying for him and his family and those who love him. And I'm praying that we get to the place where we stop thinking that shooting people is an appropriate way to be who we are. All right, let's, let's watch this video. Hey, Dr. Sean, my name is Nicole, and I have a question for you. I own a hair salon, and family and friends always want me to perform services for reduced rates or discounts. How can I break it to them that I don't work for free? I don't work for discounts. Yes, no, I, I agree with this. Yeah, I, listen, I, I, I think the best way to do it it's to sort of let them know that it's not personal, right? It's not, it's not, I'm, it's not that I don't want to do this for you. I, what I've found, the best way to get people to understand something is to let them know that you can't do something, not that you won't do something. You, you don't want to say, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not doing it or I won't do it. Tell them you can't do it and then tell them why you can't do it. Can't says, I would love to be able to do this for you, but I'm just not able. I'm not financially at a place where I can do favors for you and, and then be able to pay my bills and, and survive. So I can't, I can't give you favors and eat. And I choose to eat. You know what I'm saying? Um, and if they love you and care about you and understand the realities of life, right? Patrick just took us into that, right? The realities of life. You got to pay bills. You got to pay insurance. You got to do all the things you got to do. If they understand that, then they'll understand. Now, if they're selfish and narcissistic and only con concerned about what they want, when they want it, and how they want it, then they won't understand. But then that also won't be your problem. Because people who will not bend at all in the presence of the stresses that are, to some degree, causing you great angst and anxiety, if they won't bend at all, then, you know, let them go and find another place to get the services that they need. I, I, I would tell them I cannot do this. Not that I don't want to do it, but I can't do it. And always tell people why. And, and if people can't line up with your why, if it's sincere, if it's serious, if it's clear, people can't line up with your why, then no matter if they're family or friends or not, then they're not going to be able to line up with you. 
So better that they walk away and get mad or do whatever now, okay? Yeah. And I would be very clear, because you know I'm big on clarity. Don't, don't beat around the bush. Just say, look, can't do this, okay? Can't do this and pay my car, no. Don't, no car, I gotta walk. Not willing to walk for you. Can't do this, I gotta pay my mortgage or rent. Don't pay my mortgage and rent, I'm homeless. I'm not willing to be homeless for you. And if you loved me, here it is, you shouldn't want that for me either. That part. We'll be right back right after this. Let's do some more Ask Dr. Sean. Someone DM me this. My best friend of 20 years confided in me about her cancer diagnosis, but she doesn't want her, her adult children to know. I think she's wrong for not telling them the truth because her children have the right to know. Would it be wrong for me to tell her children what she's going through? Absolutely would be wrong for you to tell her children what she's going through. Those are her children, not yours. It's, first of all, it's her journey. Let's just, like, could we just start there? It's her journey, her disease, her, bout, her battle with cancer. Now, and she gets to decide how she's going to take that journey and who she's going to allow to take that journey with her. You see, when you get really sick, I don't know if you've ever been there, because I've been sick, really sick. And when you get really sick, you, you lose control. You lose the ability to decide things for yourself. And she may at a point be at a point in her life where she's, she's, where she's deciding, rather, if I can't control nothing else, I'm going to decide who gets this information and who doesn't. And she gets to decide if she wants her children to have it. Let me give you some advice. What you need to do is pray for your friend, pray for her children, and maybe talk to your friend to convince her if you really believe that you're right and she's not, to change her mind. But don't you go to her children and tell her children things that she's not giving you permission to do. That's not your call. Your job right now is to be a friend, not a manager, not a therapist, not a family counselor. It's to be a friend. And as a friend, your friend has asked you to respect her decision and her choice, even if she believe, even if you believe rather that her decision is wrong because her decision is not hurting anybody. Her, her children not knowing, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not being physically affected by that. Sure, I think that a parent should tell their adult children what's going on so that they can be supported better. But I don't know why your friend has decided that that's not what she wants. Maybe you need to talk to your friend about where this decision comes from and, and why is it advantageous for her in this season of her life. Why? And then do the hard work of convincing your friend to do something different. Do that. But uh, listen, if I had something that I didn't want my kids to know and if somebody went off and told them, I would not be happy because I would expect my friends to respect my decision and my rights to share information as I feel I need to. See, don't make this about you and don't make this about her children. This is about her. And when someone's going through something as serious as cancer, there's already a lot going on in her mind, her life and her spirit. There may be some valid reasons why she's deciding not to tell them at this point. And maybe that's the other thing you can do, is you can convince her and compel her to change her mind at a certain point. Right? She may not want to tell them today, but maybe a month from now she'll, she'll be more willing. Yeah. But you, you mind your business. Because <laughs> don't make this about you or her children, okay? You're going to mess up your little friendship. You, go, you hear what I said unto you? Unto you. You're going to mess up your friendship. And your friend right now does not need to be losing friends at a time when she's battling cancer. Okay? People make decisions that we don't agree with. 
but sometimes it's their decisions to make. We have to let people choose. We have to let people make mistakes. Let her, let her, if you believe it's a mistake, let her make it. Your job is to love her anyway. Stop running around trying to fix stuff, okay? Anyway, all right, we have another video. Let's watch it. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Sean, I'm Deshaun Simmons, and I need some advice. What is the best way to support others when you don't have the words yourself? So I'm assuming you mean, what is the best way to be there for people when you're not necessarily empowered with the right things to say? And that happens to a lot of people, right? We know people go through death or they go through whatever they go through and you want to be there, but you ain't, you're not quite sure, what should I say? Well, how about this? Sometimes the best way to be there for people is not to say anything at all. Sometimes the best way to be there for people is to simply be there for people. It's to be in the room, to offer them a glass of water, to make a plate for them, food, to sit with them. The, 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 the best way to be there for somebody is to listen and not talk. And people will know that you're there to listen by how much you don't try to find the right things to say. You see, the, you know, I, I talk for a living, obviously, and, and, and there have been times even in my own journey where I've, where, I've, where I've known that this is not a time for me to be talking. I'm here to support you and to care about you and to love you, and my presence is the thing that will do that. I have a friend of mine who will help, sometimes when I bring up situations, she goes into asking 10,000 questions. And she, she doesn't realize that this ain't the moment to be questioning. <laughs> I'm just talking. This is when you should listen. Don't question, listen. And how about we disabuse ourselves of the notion of having the right things to say? Because that puts us pressure on us that we probably don't need and certainly don't deserve. You see, if you speak from your heart and you speak from your, your truth, your experiences, that's what I mean by your truth, your experiences, if you speak from, from how you feel about the person or about them going through the situation, nine times out of ten, you're going to find the so-called right thing to say because it's coming from a place that's genuine, rooted in love and empathy. See, the worst thing you can do is give somebody a bunch of cliches or a bunch of things you heard on social media or a bunch of things people said to you. Your responsibility and your job really is, is to let your heart talk, to let your heart speak, to let your love glow. And if you do that, people can receive what you're saying, even if it's not necessarily the right thing to say. You see, I think that when we, when we try to, like, like, like my last question, when we try to correct people or provide guidance, or, don't do that. When it gets tough and people are going through serious situations, tell them how you feel about them and tell them over and over and over and over again because when I'm low is when I need to hear it the most. Don't focus on the right thing. Focus on the love thing. Anyway, I'm thankful for Patrick Riley for being here tonight. Thank you for watching tonight. I will see you soon. Y'all be good to each other, all right? Please be good to each other because we need each other, all right? Yeah. I love you. I think the fact that most mattresses are built to sustain a weight of 250 pounds is BS. I was ready for a change. I love that the Big Fig mattress supports up to 1,100 pounds. So if you and your partner are both curvier, if you and your partner are both larger framed, they're supporting you. It's so important for me to tell the world about brands that are truly seeing us as a community. And I love that Big Fig does that. Big Fig is the company that believes that everybody and everybody deserves a great night's sleep. 
Learn more at bigfigmattress.com.